Hey y'all, this is Jasmine Castile and I am going to start a brand new podcast called Hands Off My Podcast. This true crime podcast is for the lost voices of family or friends. They have the story of their loved ones that are or were unalived, missing, human trafficked, or exploited because of being a person of color and would love to share your story. Please contact me at handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com. Let's make your voice no longer the voiceless. If you fall in my community of LGBTQ2 spirits, Asian American Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color, then you're my people. Or if you like to follow and share on any of your listening podcast apps. Dios te bendiga. Today is my special Native American Heritage Month guest, Jamie Ann Setten. She is a participant in many organizations of the Alaska Native Sisterhood, Clickit Haida Community Council member, National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition member, CDC RX Awareness Campaign participant, she is here to educate about indigenous lives in Alaska and the Angoon bombardment of 1882, the effects of the colonization of their people. She will also talk about the topics of her addiction, incarceration, domestic violence, intergenerational trauma, her healing journey, and how it all relates to the Native American Alaska Native boarding school institutions era, as well as children being recovered and her cemetery work. Please give a warm welcome to Everblessed, Jamie Ann Setten. How are you? Look what I'm wearing today, because I know I was going to be a special guest on for today. Yay! Yay! <laughs> That's great. Yes, so I'm let me go. Wearing the color orange. Yes, ma'am. I wore it uh, September 30th, and... Um, I decided to put it back on because in honor of speaking with you. So yeah, thankfully she sent it. Cause I was like, I don't know too many proverbs <laughs> or sayings, but oh yeah. For the proverbs. Well, it's hard, you know, um, because as indigenous people, you know, so many things were stripped away from us. And so we have to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. It is so true. And on that subject, when I was a child, I told my mother that I did not want to speak Spanish um, because I thought it was a silly language. And I kept now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I should have said completely different or, or understood my culture more. So now I have to learn Spanish and maybe thousands of years from now, I might be in the same situation where it's an unspoken language as well. So just the idea of having to give a child that decision, I would have thought I would have preferred to make a a better choice in doing that because now I try so hard to understand the language. Um, I can understand it, but I can't speak it. So it's really, I'm in a, not a similar situation, but I completely understand that that's where our culture is from is our language. And yeah. it's, it's really, it's, if we don't understand the history about our people, then we take it for granted. 
and that's why it's always good to enrich a child's mind with the culture. I was thinking like the the videos that you had on there, there was very cloudy, very stormy. I, I saw though, we were standing by the highway trying to get as many honks as possible with the signs and the crowd to kind of like uh, inspire and share and celebrate something. Um, is that like that all the time? Because there was times you had a video where it was like, the sun is out, I'm at the playground, look at me. And uh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> when it comes out, you like want to run out there and like catch the rays as, as much as you can before it goes back behind a cloud. So <laughs> yeah, in South Alaska, that's how we are. We get liquid sunshine all the time. So uh, yeah, there's some days where you're like, oh, it's bright out today. You know, we don't really say like, it's sunny, it's sunny because it's a lot of the times we're a temperate rainforest, mm-hmm. but lots of rain. Lots of rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will never wrap my mind about how atrocious human beings can be between, you know, amongst other people. It's like I try to find the goodness in other people and it's really hard as time goes by and hearing these stories about the history of the children that were just ungraved and, and, um, you know, you having the September 30th where you are honoring um, those children as well as the children uh, that have not been found, um, the ones who've been unclaimed and um, the mothers who are still crying for their lost children. And it's like, it hurts my heart being a parent as a human being. It's, I feel so crushed by how people can be this way amongst other others. And so, I mean, I've had my, in our culture, we have been shamed. We have been ridiculed. We have been trying to be erased from understanding our history and all culture and our language. I find a sister, Jamie Ann here, to kind of give me another side of the story and to embrace it and let the listeners know about this journey that you have accomplished. And there's more to come. As I can see from when you, I read on your article under CDC um, RX Awareness that you had a tearful yet inspirational life story. Um, Can you tell the listeners about your struggle and your success pertaining to it? Like a little cliff note in regards to your article? Yeah, the article with the CDC, um, there were four of us Alaska Natives who were chosen to participate in the RX Awareness Campaign with the CDC, and it is a prescription opioid prevention campaign that will be on for as long as the campaign is going. Um, And I was chosen because of the things I talk about, and I talk about historical trauma, I talk about epigenetics and how there's a ripple effect of the past that is still um, with us today. And in in fact, when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother, my mother already had her eggs in, in her. So I was in there too, experiencing all of the trauma of the day, the oppression, segregation, assimilation processes. Um, and so, I am a survivor of um, domestically violent relationships. I was an alcoholic for most of my life. I've been sober for five years. I am four years uh, opioid addiction free 
And I am also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and narcissistic and emotional abuse. And I held these things in for many, many years. Um, I've been on this healing journey now for nine years. And so I was 40 years old when I stood up and I spoke about my story. And just until um, earlier this year, I lived with suicide ideology my whole life um, and contemplating, you know, whether I want to be here or why am I still here? Do I want to continue this? But my my son, um, I've got two of them, but my younger one, he's 14 and my older one's 28. But my younger one for sure is the one who keeps me going because I don't want him to be caught in a cycle that is perpetuated. And he knows every single day that we are on this journey to break cycles and not perpetuate them. If I were to leave and take my own life or just not even be here anymore for him in consumption of alcohol and drugs, then he would be put into a foster care system. Mm -hmm. And in Alaska, there's 63% of the children in the foster care system are Alaska Native or Native American. Wow. And this is, I feel, a, a continuation of the residential boarding school era. And when we look into that, we, we learn that when the residential schools started closing, they had all of these Native children and they weren't going to send them back to their families. They weren't going to send them back to their homes where they belonged. What they did is they started a campaign to adopt a Native child. And they really, they, they, they put us on these brochures and labeled us as unwanted children, unloved children, and, um, and sent them out to prominently white families. And so, um, and that's what the foster care system is. It's a continuation of it. And this is how the Indian Child Welfare Act came to place. Um, yeah, I definitely heard about that too. The uh, Native American uh, descent and culture that are just sitting in these fostering system. And then the point of that just outrages me personally, how they could do such a thing just to find ways to wipe the heritage of uh, our children because they falsely label uh, label them as a uh, you know, unwanted. And that just, I'm just like, I don't, I'm trying not to tear up, but I'm like, this is, it's been going on for, for centuries. I can't say for centuries, but it is pretty close. I mean, from what they have identified in advertisements and as, you know, um, newspaper ads and stuff like that, where they've actually shown these loving so-called white families taking this child, uh, and they make it sound like wrapped in a bowl, so beautiful. So, oh, you know, you can get to have, you can have your own child if you're not able to. But then mm-hmm. there's a backstory to it. And these children, they have a family, they have a home, but they were ripped from their mothers and fathers. And that just, that just tears me up inside as to years and, and decades. And, you know, it's going on even before publication, it was going without, um, it wasn't even identified in papers. It was being done, you know, going to the tribes and going to communities and literally taking them, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's so, I don't know how anybody can do it. Cause I am, I am strong, but I'm, 
I feel like if I was ever a, a mother that had to go through this, I would, I would die inside. I would completely die inside. And I just, you just have to be it's like, so I'm sorry. I just had to vent because I'm, I'm tearing up and I apologize. I'm getting a little emotional, but um, it, it is stressful. And there's, there's something called white saverism and that's mm-hmm. exactly what you were talking about. And there's a superiority complex of, you know, like, oh, we can provide them a better home and, right. and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the testimonies that I've come across during my teachings and learnings um, is a person talking about them being adopted and, and that it's like a puzzle. It's like this beautiful puzzle that you have, you know, 500 piece puzzle that you're putting together. And you get down to it and there's one missing. Mm. There's a missing piece of the puzzle. So that first trauma that happens, that taking the child away, um, that is something that that child cannot remember. But I have a friend and she is one of, she's my dipping partner. And we go and we do traditional dips together, something that our ancestors have done for as long as we know of. Mm-hmm. And we go to the water during high tide and the tide calls us. And so we go there at high tide when it's just on its shift and it's starting to go back out. And we go into the water and we talk to each other about our burdens and our troubles and we release it to the water. And then the tide takes it away and later the moon cleanses everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, there's, you know, high cell turnover rates. There's a cold water therapy that we can look into and see the benefits of that. But how, how intelligent were our ancestors to know that if you're sad, go to the water. If you're hurting, go to the water. If you have an ailment, go to the water mm-hmm. uh, because of the high salt content and the inflammation gets taken out. So she was, she was, my friend was, um, taken away from her mother and adopted. And that's a pain that she feels. That's her first life trauma. And so for our children to be swept away because there's always this white standard of, you know, we have to reach that standard and everything below it is judged. And so our children belong with us. Mm -hmm. And we get labeled as, you know, people who can't take care of our children, people who are drug addicts and alcoholics. And we really need to take a look at history and see why are we given this label? Right. What happened? Because our children were ripped away from us and they were sent off to boarding school institutions. I don't know about you, but if you can imagine your child being ripped from your arms, And then um, what do you do after that? If you tried to fight for them, you could be imprisoned or killed. Right. It was mandatory. They took them. And then there was alcohol. Mm -hmm. They would give you, you know, so then you're numbing your hearts and minds with, with alcohol and then drugs. And, and then they give you the label of being a drunk and a drug addict. So coping mechanisms you know, how would you cope with your child being ripped from you and taken off to 
an institution where you know exactly what's going on with them. Right. They might not come back because they could be killed. Some people came back pregnant. You know, how did that happen? There's many things to consider when we're talking about residential boarding school institutions and the ripple effects of the past and how they are still with us today. And the also um, the the policies in place still today that are taking our children away, like we're talking about the foster care system and um, and where are those children going? Because there aren't a whole lot of Native families out there who are foster parents. Um, ICWA that we had mentioned you know, earlier, the Indian Child Welfare Act, that is an act to try and keep our children with, our, with us, with family. But uh, there's the ripple effect to consider. There's a lot of people who are not prepared and ready to to house another child because of the things that are happening in their homes, because there hasn't been healing. And so um, to stand up and speak our truths is where the, the beginning of the healing starts. And that was part of what the Orange Shirt Day events were that I coordinated here in Juneau. Yeah, yeah. I This is like I was supporting you a thousand. I, I know I'm probably, what, two or three thousand miles away, but I I hope you could feel my presence in my heart um, with you. So there was one. And I know that I know this is this happened originally when I did introduce myself with TikTok, that you were in the process of doing the the is it the magazine? I believe you were being entry for 40 and up. Oh, yeah. That was how I originally met with you on TikTok. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I would love to know more. You just have such a beautiful soul just watching you on your videos. And I was like, I want to root for this woman. She just seems like she her heart is in all in the good places. And and um, I just hope I didn't scare you off at the time, like some creep on TikTok. Just like, you know, there's so many trolls over there out there. And I'm like, I hope she understands that my heart is also in a good spot. And, um, and I'm so glad you re- were able to reach out to me as well. So I am in all of my life experiences that have been very traumatic. I have real strong barriers and my flags fly up quick when I know someone's not a good heart and good place, but I didn't have any flags fly up about you. So yeah, and it was the the over 40. I can't even remember exactly what it's called anymore, but I was in there for a while and then it just yeah, I didn't didn't make it all the way, but the goal was to um I mean $40,000 cash would have been nice, but that wasn't really my my main objective. My main objective was to get that magazine spread and I wanted that magazine spread so bad because it means a lot. I know. Don't I'm starting to tear up. It means more than that. It's because of the erasure of our people and to have a two page spread in a magazine as an indigenous woman talking about our life, my life experiences um, and the harms that have been done to us and how we're, you know, trying to, um, find ourselves and our culture and our language and 
um, find our way out of that horrible ripple effect of the genocide that has happened to our people. That was the most important piece to me was to try and get that two page spread um, because I would have been in a non-Indigenous magazine, a Native woman talking about, hey, you know, and getting the um, the spotlight of <clears throat> of our people, because when we start speaking our truths on a bigger level and start getting people to empathize and understand or even just like, whoa, I need to learn more about that because our our schooling system, I say, breeds ignorance. It doesn't teach this stuff. And why would they? Because it's such a huge stain and their mission is not over. They still are after what's in Mother Earth. They want the trees. They want the gold. They want the oil. They want the fish. And um, that's what they're after. Mm -hmm. And our people are in the way. They have been in the way. They're still in the way. We have water protectors out there. We have people protecting the herring here. We have people protecting our beautiful forests here. And they still, their mission is not complete. They're still, they're still working towards colonization 100%. And so our indigenous resistance is exactly what that is. Um, you know, something that someone said, Uh, during the Orange Shirt Day event really resonates with me because people say, your people are so resilient. You're so resilient. And she got up there and she said, you know what? I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of being resilient. I'm tired of carrying that label around. Yeah. And it is, it's exhausting. I mean, every single day I have to put on my armor and, you know, I'm like, got my jacket and like, what do I have to endure for my community today? Because of the ignorance that's bred through the educational system, we don't understand that we're walking on, that we're living on this land that has a two governmental system. Mm -hmm. There's two governments and it's not recognized. It's not taught. Um, but you know, our tribe brings millions of dollars into this state and we do great things, not just for our own people, because we believe that all the people who are walking on our lands here in Klingaani are, you know, they're a part of it because they're walking on it. And so when, when our communities are struggling because, uh, the state system, you know, shuts down ferries and that's our own way to communicate and get around from one island to another island and get food and products and stuff to people um what happens we come together and we reach out to those communities indigenous and non-indigenous communities and ask them what do you need what you know how can we help and we do like food drives and um and send things out by plane you know or or however we can fishing boats whatever and some communities were like, well, you know, we don't have a lot of Native people here. And it's like, that doesn't matter if you have Native people there or not. You guys are in need. Mm-hmm. So we take care of each other because it's just who we are as humans. Right. And I just wanted to say I, my heart to, to you, Jamie Ann, I see you. 
I see you. And I, I thank you so much for sharing that with me because this is a very, not only you're walking on that path, not just for yourself, but for the spirits of our, you know, I keep saying our, because I understand, I mean, I'm a Brown, I'm the Brown community and we, we have the same similar burden where we carry on like in this the texas system they literally just overturned saying that they will not allow history based on slavery that they are trying to find a, the, the education to not pertain to the history of black people of brown people of slavery history because they want to teach them all the things that the the white person has done, the colonizer has created, even though they were standing on top of the bodies of my sisters and my brothers to get there. They just feel like they have to be praised for something that you talking about. It's not just you. It's for the community. It's for your your culture. It's for, you know, the voices that were not heard were snuffed from their cries because of what they've fought for. And it is, they always say they're resilient, but I, I completely agree. I am just everyday life things. And as a mother, as a single mom, people say, oh my God, you're so strong. You're so resilient. You know, keep going, you're doing it. And I'm like, I'm tired. And that's just normal day life for me. Just think of it from uh, what our ancestors had to go through and uh, you know, our elders had to go through. It's exhausting to carry on and try to have that appearance like, you know, we got this, but really in the back, in, in our minds, we're tired, we're exhausted from this. And I am so glad that you're able to share that with the listeners because other people understand that the mask that we cover of our pain and our sorrow and our heartbrokenness from all the history that has been covered in with blood and with dead children you know it's just amazes me how people kind of like put a blind eye or not even think about that part of the history and how these people have who believe that they're like role models and idols in their in their eyes you know but they don't talk about the bloodshed and the lost lives of our children and of our family so you know, I see you and I, I thank you so much for the sharing that information with me and the listeners. Yeah, and I feel like I'm rambling on, but it's like I, I can feel I feel so much so indifferent emotions for me. It's just so much. It's overwhelming. And um, today's society, everything is about me, myself and I. And I love to meet people who are saying it's not just me. No, it's all of us. It's people who look like us. It's people mm-hmm. of color. It's brown, black people. Mm-hmm. And what Texas is doing is they're they're just trying to erase more, erasure, erasure, erasure with the superiority complex. Mm-hmm. And um, I consistently say that this epigenetics, which is a scientific thing, we're not the only ones walking around with the trauma. Us brown people are not the only people walking around with trauma. It's in our DNA. Mm -hmm. It is um, living and residing right inside of us. You know, we took on this harm and violent 
violence, just violence from from non-Indigenous people who were here to colonize. And uh, those people who did this and created this harm and um, they had children and those children are living today and they are carrying it on because they don't look within themselves. And because of that superiority complex, I believe they don't think anything's wrong with them. But there is, and it's um, it's humanitarian, you know. Then they, they there's this complex of me, 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 and this is mine. We have more of a complex of taking care of communities, and and it's not just me. I have a responsibility. So what Texas is doing with that. They're, they're, I don't think that they're the only state actually who is trying to um, not let our history come out. It is, it's more erasure. And they're also fighting against ICWA. So the Indian Child Welfare Act is another thing that Texas is going up against. And they're saying that it's discriminatory against Caucasian people. Uh. When you can look back into the history and find out why did ICWA come into place. It's because of the residential boarding school institution era that we talked about Mm -hmm. and how they weren't sending those children home. And they, there was an adoption era, a true adoption era. And in fact, I know someone who was caught in that adoption era and he specifically was on a brochure and his mother, his adopted mother found the brochure on her desk. Somebody put it there and she threw it in the trash. And the next day when she came to work, the janitor didn't take the trash out. And she looked down and she saw that and picked it up and started reading it. And it had that unwanted child, unloved child. And she, she, she called and she said, I want the one that's, I want the one that's on the brochure. Hmm. And so he went from the Dakotas stripped away from his family in South or North Dakota. Can't remember which one, but he came all the way to Alaska and he's got, you know, his own set of issues stemming from that. So he was caught in the adoption era. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the DNA, we aren't the only ones who are walking around with trauma. The people who inflicted it upon us are also walking around with trauma. And I think that we're in a day and age where the discoveries that are being made, the the 215 children that were recovered, mm-hmm. uh, as we already knew that they were there. So instead of saying that they were discovered or found, um, I try my best to say that they were recovered. Um, so the first 215 children who were recovered in Kamloops, B.C., opened the eyes of the world to the stories that we have been telling for hundreds of years about our children. Um, And now you can't ignore it because it's come to light. The Truth and Reconciliation Act of Canada, you know, it called for churches and government to bring forward all these documentations. Well, they did some of it. But the children who have been recovered have forced them to bring more to light. They have they withheld stuff. And in the United States, we have twice as many of these residential um, institutions 
that were set, you know, to assimilate our, our indigenous people and tear them away from their families and their cultures and their language. And I could go on and on about my own stories here in our community. We have like 367 recorded institutions in the United States. And you can learn a lot by going to the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. We call it NABS for short. Um, so boardingschoolhealing.org, I believe. But you can go there and look at a map. And in the state of Alaska, we had 33 of these institutions. And we are the third highest number. Carlisle Institution was in Pennsylvania and uh, Richard H. Pratt was a colonel, and he had in his uh, charge uh, some Native people that he didn't experiment with, and he took them and civilized them, taught them English, and put them in, you know, Caucasian clothing and uh, Western clothing, and he said, this can be done. And so he created propaganda and took before and after photos. So if you go um, searching for residential boarding schools online, you're going to see a lot of those photos. Um, so they started in 1879, that school. And in the state of Alaska in 1878, the year before, um, Sheldon Jackson was starting in Sitka. Alaska. And the two institutions were very married to each other. I have um, the, the database of Carlisle has a resource database that you can go to. And I have found letters between the two of them, handwritten letters. In the state of Alaska, I don't think we really realized how institutionalized we were or how far back it goes or how impactful it was compared to uh, the Plains Indians. But like I said, they, these two places where they were married to each other, and it all comes down to uh, industrialization and colonization. You can become a member, too. Uh, oh, cool. Become a member of the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Just go to the page and, and fill out your membership paperwork. And anybody um, who's listening that might be a survivor themselves, um, they send you a beautiful care package. So there's usually there's like a mug in there and it's just filled with products from indigenous people and businesses. And and so it's really so beautiful to get a care package. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am going to do that for sure. So make sure if you have additional like the links and everything, I, I will personally go in there and um, sign up. But I would also like to put that in this, the show notes so other people can can look yes. into that as well. That would be awesome. That would be beautiful. Thank you so much. So I think I have all these other questions and um, we just got so wrapped up in these stories and I love it. I just, you have so much to share and I love, I just love listening to you talk about that. Um, I know it's a very bittersweet, but it has to be heard. And I think not everybody knows this answer, but I'm like, really, I feel like I'm having an interview. But <laughs> what, if anything, do you see when you visualize yourself 10 years from now? And um, what time frame are you thinking of? And what are your dreams? I see more community healing that I've just been really busy for 10 years. <laughs> um, 
And I also see place names being restored on Ha'ani, Lingat'ani. There was a place that we were at the other day uh, when we had the Orange Shirt Day event. It was over in Douglas. It's known as Sabaco Park. And it's known to us as Anakya Andaganye, which means where the sun rays hit first. So it's on the south side of town and uh, it's on the southwest side. So the sun comes up over the east and it hits right down there. So it's a proper name for it. But when colonization came to town, uh, all of these people, they decided they were going to you know, give these places names, which already carried names. And so I know it's a process uh, to restore these names. And a lot of people will make the mistake of changing, saying the word changing that name. And when we start saying that, then people are like, well, why do you want to change its name? But it's not changing its name, it's restoring its name. And so again, words carry a lot of weight. So when we talk about restoration, um, restoring names is one thing that I see within the 10 years that we're really going to be snowballing into that and facilitating more community healing, more people will, will start standing up and speaking their own truths and The other thing that I see within 10 years is um, a trauma-engaged educational system, and not just for my town, but the whole entire state of Alaska. Um, I hope it happens before 10 years. And in that trauma-engaged educational system, I see that our languages are the requirement to graduate, not a foreign language. Because now it's set up to have a foreign language as a requirement. And I feel that that is a real insult to the people who have already been here on this land. And not just this land, all over. So geographically, geographically in the state of Alaska, if you're living in Southeast Alaska, then we should have Clinkett, Haida, and Simshian speakers in these schools who are teaching the language requirement and also in colleges. And when we do things as a state, when we start having trauma-engaged education and we have all these names that are being restored and we have language requirements and all of this community healing that's happening, it's like that movie where they say, build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think that um, if we do it, other states are going to look to us and they're going to start following suit. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think, and I just wanted to jump in because I just remembered uh, I follow a lot of, I, not a lot, but a handful of musicians, like a tribe called Red. Oh, yes, love them. Um, yes, and I, in one of the things that I believe they were, I can't remember exactly where I found it, but they were creating archives of the music, and I'm thinking archives of language i wonder if they you know that would be beautiful to have if they had archives of historical languages of all the nations all the tribes that are you know and use that as a resource to make it a stamp to be officially not considered a foreign language just as like you said restoring the language of the history of the people and to have that like for the children 
uh, present and future to have that as a requirement to graduate from high school or graduate from going from middle school to high school and call in into college and so forth. And and how did a country of immigrants become so against immigrants coming to the country? That's and so also, hypocritical. And also, they're not immigrants. Mm-hmm. This is North America. And all of those people who are stuck at the border and also ripped away from their family, too. This is a repeat of history. They come from this land. They've been here before. And now yeah. they're saying, uh, yeah, this lines you know. all the way to Hawaii. Us Lingette people. Seriously, we went all the way down the coast. And and I don't know how the heck we got there, but we went to Hawaii. We came wow. back from Hawaii. We have relatives in Hawaii. So here in Alaska, I say to um, the, the the Pacific Islanders, you know, sometimes there's there's a little tiff and a taff here and there. And so I'm like, can't we all just get along? Like, we're the same people. And they're like, what? what are you talking about? And I'm like, we are all Pacific Islanders. All of us. You guys are just South Pacific. We're North Pacific. We're, we're all the same people. We are people of the of the water. We all get out there and we fish. We're people of the land. We hunt on the land. We are people who dance and sing. We are people who have these uh, shape shifters in our um, in our history. You can people call them myths, but uh, mythology. Um, it's it's who we are. It's we're all the same. And so I don't know if you know who John Trudell is, but uh, that sound that name sounds so familiar. It is so I, much. <laughs> Go he ahead. Will just, he has changed perception of reality and um, uh, my perception of reality just with his with his uh, teachings. And he was the voice of Alcatraz. So the occupation of Alcatraz in 1969. Um, uh, he was the voice on the radio. And then when the American Indian movement happened in 1973, he was there too. And so um, he is no longer walking this earth. But one of the things that he said is when Columbus arrived, he's like, who are you? And we said, well, we're the human beings. And he's like, oh, Indians. No, we're human beings. Um, but we got the labels Indians because he was lost. He thought he was India. He was in India. Yeah, that I remember. I'm like, and I did. I really didn't like the word Indian at all. To me, it's like a derogatory. You know, I have no. I know people who are from India, and I've always had like maybe a conversation with another person, and I'm like, well, who, what what is their ethnicity? And I'm like, oh, they're Indians. And they're like, oh, they must be native. No, no. So, so it's it's this is just a whole construe of labeling. Um, we are all human beings, and you're absolutely right. And it's so interesting how they they also put us as labels, which I'm I'm comfortable with because there is a AAPI and there's a BIPOC community, and it's so interesting because BIPOC is um, Black Indigenous people of color, and then of course AAPI is like. Um, Asian American Pacific Islander, but like you said, Alaskan Natives as well as Hawaiian 
they they come from the Pacific Islander, but yet you're also considered indigenous. So it's like, okay, wait, <laughs> all these labels are just get so construed. I just consider you as human being as a sister, you yeah. know, sister. So you know, we get um, the question a lot, like, what what should we call your people? I am comfortable with being called native. I Alaska native. I am comfortable with being called indigenous. When we start talking about Native American, then we start, you know, people are just like, mm, I'm not really sure if I'm comfortable with that. You know, so it just is like there's I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like indigenous is a really good one to use. Mm-hmm. Just call me Jasmine. You know, my mother, and my father named me that. Um, I'm also a human being. The last time I checked this current this current life. Um, and I believe in reincarnation. So it's just so interesting how people try to put you in a box to kind of have less fear of who you are. If you put a label on it, they're no longer considered a threat or considered fear, fear of. And um, I've noticed that a lot with people who are not familiar with something, they just automatically label it I don't want to insult, but the, you know, the Indian or the red man or, you know, other types of things that they would say just to label it, to not make it as intimidating or you are more superior over. Um, and I just, it just, yeah, I'm just venting. So just let me do my thing. <laughs> Cause it's like, it, it sort just, of reminds me of something else that was said the other day, like when they arrived, they're like, well, you know, you're we're going to take this part of the land and we're going to, we're going to put you over here. And then they come over and it's like, you know what? You really don't belong over here either. So we're going to put you over here and well, you know what? We're going to put you somewhere else now. And so that's kind of like the labeling system that's happening. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. Nope. That's not who you are. This is who you are. Nope. That's not who you are. This is who you are. And someone else is making those decisions for us. We're not sitting at the table with them making these decisions for us. And this is how we got where we are today. So um, the, there's there's some people actually who who are like sitting around. How can we help these folks heal? You know, and I I, I love that intention. However, are we sitting at that table to figure out what our healing is for ourselves, or are just some random? you know, non-Indigenous people sitting around talking about how they're going to help heal us. Because that's what happened before. People made those decisions for us. How are we going to save them? You know, and let's start this schooling system that is church-ran and government-funded. And so, um, and, you know, there's, there's so much horror that happens in these institutions. But that's how I feel about the evolution of going from Negro to African-American, mm-hmm. just like what you're talking about. It like evolved into all of these different names and, and telling you you don't belong and this is who you are and that's who you are and this is who you are and this is who you are now. Um, that's not for them to tell us who we are. Right. We've got to claim our own names and claim our own place. Right. And um yeah and put our foots down you know yes. like like uh, mom jasmine that's yes. who i am that's the last time i checked <laughs> it's like and on top of that it's like have you even asked what we needed it's always an assumption of what they think 
we need. And that just floors me as well. Like, have you even sat down across the table, whatever the case is, and sit down like civilized people and talk human to human and saying, what, how can we help you? That's like the hardest thing that can ever come out of a person's mouth in these instances throughout history. How can we help you? Instead of saying, let's see what they really want. Okay, the way we do our tradition is we we put them through boarding school and we we think that's that's we think that's how it's gonna work. No, it's 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 you know, that's just a other thing that upsets me. Like he never really sat down and actually understood each other. And that's how it is now. We never sit down to understand each other. So how we've been conditioned. Yeah, I just yeah. I think I'm out of that mold. I, I cut my heart and my soul out of that mold and reshape and saying, I'm not going to be like the norm. I want to know who you are. And I want a lot of the listeners to kind of rethink and step back as to self-awareness as well as loving your yourself and other people as humans and in asking that question, how can I help you? so simple but it's so complicated in in today's world so what happened <laughs> with the group of people that i was talking about it's like what we don't need is a bunch of non-native people sitting around figuring out how they're going to help us heal without having our voices at the table and then i talked about white saverism and superiority complexes and that was a hard conversation for me to just be like hey look there's this thing you need to consider um and and it and it actually it went across really well, you know. Um, they, they took time to to reflect and respond, and the response is, you know what, I've been guilty of this, and it doesn't align with my core values. What do you need from us to facilitate more healing? You know, wow. and so. Um, uh, the intention that I that I originally was like, I like the intention, but this is how we got here. But the intention was so genuine and um, and self-reflective. And they were able to look at themselves and and that DNA that I'm talking about because they were trying to perpetuate a cycle. It takes so much to stand up to that and just be like, hang on, I'm not comfortable with this because this is why. Mm -hmm. So the Alaska Native Sisterhood Camp too, I feel like um, this in general has been quite quietly sort of surviving in the background. Alaska Native Brotherhood was formed in 1912 and then Alaska Native Sisterhood was formed in 1915. Um, however, without the women, the brotherhood would, wasn't going to be able to get to the places where they needed to be. Uh, the women were the ones who were doing fundraisers and having bake sales and, um, and doing all of these things to get the men where they needed to go in order to uh, fight for our rights. There's one woman in particular. Her name is Marie Orson, and she was known as Mary Moon. And she, uh, her, her mother passed away and her father moved from, I believe, Kluckwan to Juneau to Douglas. And he was seen purchasing some items in a, in a store 
and some uh, girls clothing <clears throat> when a couple of Quakers saw him and started, I feel, interrogating him. Like, why are you purchasing that? Then people say they were asking questions, you know, make it sound nice. Um, why are you purchasing that stuff for little girls? And and he said that he's, you know, got, he's a widower and he's got a couple kids. And and um, I've heard the story of them saying, well, you know, I'm not sure how it happened, but they convinced him to let them take the children and educate them. But I know very well at the time that um, missionaries would come through and they would see children and be like, I like that one. I'm taking that one. And they would take them. Her name was, uh, I think it was Katza. And then they changed her name to Mary Moon. And they sent her off to Carlisle uh, Industrial School in Pennsylvania. And when um, she was there, she was still known as Mary Moon. But later, she she graduated from Carlisle Institute and she returned back to Alaska and she married a man named Oli. And so her uh, she started going by Marie uh, Orson and she passed away in 1918. So just a few years after the sisterhood. But uh, through my investigations, I have found that she was one of the founding brothers. She was the mother of the brotherhood oh, of wow. 1912. And the, that conversations of we've had enough and we, we need to do something about the way our people are being treated and, and disregarded and having signs say no, no dogs, no natives allowed. So they fought against the discrimination and uh, those conversations formed in her kitchen. But with patriarchy, she is demoted to just a secretary. And so um, I've been trying to bring her more to light lately and talk about her. Um, but so these people, our ancestors, were forced to go to these institutions. And when they came out of those institutions, they said, enough's enough. We need to do something to change this. And that's how the Alaska Native Brotherhood formed. And then the Alaska Native Sisterhood and we're the uh, oldest known anti-discrimination organization in, in the world. Wow. Um, and then Elizabeth Paratrovich, Paratrovich uh, was of the same camp that I am. She was um, of ANS Camp 2, so Alaska Native Sisterhood Camp 2. And she stood before the legislature and gave testimony for that anti-discrimination act, which was passed in 1945. So 20 years before the United States. And we were still an actual territory at the time. Um, so yeah, she's led the way for us. And um, I think that she was just so strong and powerful to be able to stand up to a room full of men where one of the senators was just violently opposing this this anti-discrimination act that he's like, who are these people? Who do they think they are to mingle with us gentlemen with over 5,000 years of recorded history behind us? And she she flipped his words and she stood up and 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 said, well, she basically just said that she 
I wouldn't have expected that I, who am barely out of savagery, would have to remind gentlemen with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind them of our Bill of Rights. That was House Bill 77. So she just took his words and just flipped them around. And she she got people who were going to vote no to vote yes because of the mentioning of um, our Bill of Rights. And now she is adorned on the back of a $1 coin. Uh, I really think that she deserves her own coin, but they put her on a coin with Sacagawea and that's controversial to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sacagawea, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm probably saying it she wrong. It's she helped them. She was out there with Lewis and Clark. That's what I was trying to say. But there is a coin. Yeah, I, I remember seeing <laughs> the coin. is on the backside of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That is some power. I love the the powerful women in history. Just like putting, putting, I hate to say, putting men in their place, but uh, specific men <laughs> who think that they can control the world and with their superiority. But um, that's beautiful. And I think I have, if I'm not mistaken, did you speak specifically on the Angoon bombardment of uh, 1882 or have we done Angoon? Mm-hmm. Okay. One last question. I know you were preparing for it. So I didn't tell you about Angoon, but I could. Yes, absolutely. Please do. And then after that, we can we can talk about your proverb. Yeah. Uh uh, what I just said is my Thlingit name is Zechtin. My English name is Jamie Ann. I am of the Raven Moiety and the Deshiton clan of Angoon, Alaska. So uh, Raven, Beaver, Dragonfly is my Moiety. And um, I also said that I am Kaguantan Dutchkun. That means I'm the grandchild of the Kaguantan from the Eagle Nest House in Sitka, uh, Sitka, Alaska. My people in Angoon come from the Yechsagi Hit, which is the Raven's Bones house. My family is like a, the founders. They're the founders of Angoon. Back in 1882, my, my great-grandfather, uh, Ankaska, was just a child, and he was on the beaches of Angoon when the Navy bombarded us. And so my great-great-grandfather went running down to the beach and swooped my great-great-grandfather off the beach and saved his life. And they went running into the woods, and this happened in October. So it was like uh, October 26, 1882, that this happened. And there's a whole story that goes along with that bombardment. And um, I believe there was an accidental death of one of our chiefs on a whaling boat. And um, and at the time there was there was payment processes by Clinket Law, and so uh, they were asking for I think you know a hundred blankets of payment for for the loss of our chief, and and we weren't going to get it, and so there's two different versions of this story of them capturing a couple of the uh, of the Caucasian men that were here at the time, and then another story was that those men 
uh, felt for the people of Angoon and that they were that they that they went with them to the village. And so it depends on who's telling the story and who's recollecting it. I believe Mr. Merriman, uh, he 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 was of the Navy and he was going to come and show us people, you know, so they dropped shells on our village and our, they burnt our houses and our canoes. And there was only one surviving canoe that had a beautiful beaver on it. And that was the canoe that carried us through the winter. And uh, it was our way to go out and, and harvest and, and get the food that was needed, you know, to provide for the community. And that, that later that, that beaver was taken from us also. And years and years had passed by where uh, some of the men of Angoon started filing for repatriation of these items. And they went across the country to go find them. And they went into one of the museums and they were told, you know, they didn't have any help. They were just told, go find your stuff. And so they didn't have any direction. They were just walking around and they said there was rows and rows of um, shelves that were covered with like a, a painter's um, canvas or something, you know, covering these shelves to keep the items hidden, um, safe away from dust and stuff probably. And one of the men went walking through an aisle and he felt like he was being pulled down this one way and he just ignored it. He just kept walking. And then when he was doubling back, he was being called down the aisle again. He's like, fine, I'll follow my intuition. So he went down there and then he was told to stop. And so he, you know, his, his intuition told him to stop. So he stopped and he just, you know, well, let's see what's under here. And he rolled it up and oh my gosh, it was the beaver. And so that beaver was, was calling him. It was telling him, I'm down here, take me home. He wanted to go home. So today that beaver is, um, it's, it's in Angoon. And every October on the 26th, um, they put in requests asking for an apology to the Navy. And they stand silent for uh, two minutes waiting for the Navy to call with their apology, but there's never any phone call. Mm. Yeah, that's a piece of history that we live with. You know, it's it's a part of my own family's personal trauma. You'll see some of our people will be wearing Navy stuff and uh, there's different stories that go along in different communities with what we wear and how we obtained those items. Mm. Uh, there's women in in Huna who wear uh, sailor suits, and I, I believe it's the sailor ones. Mm. Might be. Anyways, there was a story of that as well, where the the women were the ones who were the warriors who went out and they took care of those men, and they took those you know they took those clothes and they wear them, and that signifies what happened with that story as well. Interesting. That's my story to tell. Yeah. Have they ever um, put in the colors of the the navy colors into the dressings? Like if they wanted to do, um, I don't like know. Like our again, yeah. Yeah. Have they ever done that? Like they kind of mingled both things just to kind of create another story outside of that? Or I don't think so. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, our regalia is like our our state IDs. 
So if we go to our wallet and we, we pull out our state ID and it tells us like, this is Jamie Ann and this is how tall she is and how much she weighs and what her address or whatever is, you know, it tells us stuff about us. Um, but our regalia, it tells who we are. I can grab one for you real quick. So, oh, yes. Okay. Yes. This is a raven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's who I am. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. It's Y-E-I-L. That's how that's spelt. So when I wear this, you know what moiety I am. There's ravens and there's eagles. And the ravens marry the eagles and the eagles marry the ravens. And we're a matrilineal society. And so my mother was a raven. Her mother was a raven. Raven beaver, raven beaver. I came from my mother, so I am of her blood. So I am a raven beaver also. Um, so Deshitan. This one right here is, uh, this is a, a beaver design. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Uh, some leggings that were gifted to me actually during the RX awareness dinner that we had. We had a dinner for the people that came from Washington, D.C. to interview us. And we wanted to show them who we are as people and how we come together as a community and that we celebrate and dance and feast and things like that. And it was really such a beautiful event. That sounds so beautiful. Yes. Oh, so look at that. Oh, here's the raven with the bones coming out to mm-hmm. represent my raven's bones house. Interesting. Oh, gosh, it's beautiful. That's probably then, completely handmade as well. Oh, yeah. My, my mother is the one who made these. And then this is the beaver. Mm-hmm. And then these are uh, the season leaves. Wow. Yeah. So like, you know, mm-hmm. winter, spring, summer, mm-hmm. fall. Yeah. That's and then, I don't remember who did this one, but some beautiful flower work. That is so, I love that. Now it makes me want to like, I will feel like I want to ask your mother for something like that, but I don't even know what my, my dressing would look like at all. I think I'll be a hodgepodge collage of everything and anything. Cause I don't even know much about my background. I know specifically. This one's the American Indian movement in okay. solidarity of missing murdered indigenous women. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I suggest that you come up during a uh, celebration time. Um, we have a uh, celebration here in Juneau uh, once every two years and on even years. So in 2022, in the first, I think, week of June, uh, we have a celebration that's happening. And I probably don't know if I can. Wow, look at that. I never That is that so before. interesting. But it's it's huge. It's, oh my. And it's all felt and buttons. We call them button blankets. Um, and red and black are uh, the main colors that you see. And so you were asking about if we entwine other stuff into it. But mm-hmm. we, we don't really because this is our identity and we have like family colors and family stories and history that's being told on our blankets. And not only that, it calls to the other opposite moiety. So when I'm wearing a raven stuff, 
and some raven comes over is like, hey, and I'm like, I'm a raven, get away from me, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but when you have your identification on, then the eagles will come up and be like, hey. <laughs> hey, and you're like, hey, back. Right, let's go <laughs> hang out. Um, but <laughs> that is so cool. I love that. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. What is a proverb in your language that most appeals to you and why? You know, since I'm learning so much about who I am and that I'm just, you know, the first generation who didn't go to a residential boarding school, that's a lot to sink in right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still trying to learn. And um, and so I don't know a whole lot of proverbs, but one of the things that stood out to me um, with that question was a saying it is within you that to me means so many things so my my strength is within me my culture is within me and I just have to revitalize it and there so it just means so many things to to me when I see that but the most that stands out first is that I'm strong and that I have so much strength and I'm just discovering it, you know, or I'm recovering it. I don't even know, but I know that it's in me and it's coming out. The more work, the more that I become connected, the more that I learn about my culture, uh, it's healing. So culture heals. I hope that I can be inspirational to, to other people to let them know that it's within them as well. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Now, is now if the listeners are wanting to know more about you, what will be a place that they can reach out? Do you have a particular website or um, any other additional information you'd like to share? I'm on Facebook, and my story is on RX Awareness. Um, I have a blog out there that tells my story. I have Instagram too. Mm-hmm. I just I don't use a whole bunch of of these things. I just kind of go out every now and then and post something. And then I just sort of forget it for a while because I'm out here just trying to do life. And it's just every now and then I, I'm probably on Facebook more than anything. I'll just scroll and scroll for quite a while. And then TikTok is lots of fun, but I've been really busy lately. So I kind of, uh, MIA from social media. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm so glad that you're able to show your Facebook lives when you can, because I'm like, oh, she's on. So I get like a little notification that you just went live a few minutes ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed her again. But when you are on there, I'm like, I just like, oh my God, there goes my sister again. She's like doing (laughs) something beautiful. I just want to watch her in action. I'm just trying to give you as much uh, energy from me and hopefully, you know, give me the good vibes and, and encouraging other people to follow you because you just have such a good positive direction and calling and so humble you know you have so much so much passion in what you do and uh, I won't say you know resilient because that's just so humdrum redundancy and but I see that you have so much passion for life and living within itself and just being human just being an actual old-fashioned human being should be so you are the genuine Yes, very materialistic. And I'm just working on this decolonization stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. so 
decolonizing myself because uh, they have been very successful in their missions. I was a fight promoter here for 20 years. I competed in the sport of boxing for 13 years, but I have been in the fight scene for 34 years before I finally retired from it. So I retired two years ago and I stood in that cage because, you know, we do MMA and, and boxing um, events. And I stood in that cage and I told the crowd of 450 people, this is my last show. I am stepping back and that the sport of boxing and MMA has lifted me up for 20 years. And now I'm shifting my focus towards my culture. I'm shifting it to the language and the arts and, and things like that, because I didn't tell them this, but I was really tired of toeing the line and mm-hmm. having to deal with certain people who were disrespectful, especially to a female promoter who, um, you know, it took me time to gain respect from people. But once I started fighting like a man, they say, um, that's when I started getting men coming to me and asking me, can you train me? Can you corner coach me? And I mean, I've, I've corner coached over 300 fights. I mean, uh, a ballpark area, 300 fights of, of mostly boxing and then, and then MMA on top of it, probably 125 fights were MMA. But so, yeah, I retired from that scene two years ago so that I could start doing this. So uh, oh. the shirt day event was really my first, that was my first coming out of uh, retirement event for my indigenous people. That's and, awesome. That is so yeah, awesome. It, it was a great success. Yeah. The weather was horrible. Yeah, that's what I was like. <laughs> the morning was not too bad, actually. You know, it was actually a good morning. But the evening was just like there was downpour. It was sideways. And we had some pop-up tents and and all the beautiful people in the community who came together. And I can honestly say that at 49 years old, I have never felt love for my community ever until two days ago. Right, right. Well, and you guys were just like a beautiful group of, you know, indigenous and non-indigenous people who were just leaning in, trying to help with, you know, what can we do? How can we listen? What can we learn? And we need more of that forward because we're not done. That was just healing off the first layer. Yeah. Um, This is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. You, You all were nice um, beautiful droplets of sun <laughs> and I, I'm so happy that you were able to like, like it's like a coming out party but it was all for not just for you it was for everything from the past present and future was all wrapped up in that moment and it's so beautiful and it's like you said this is only the beginning and I can't yeah. wait to for other listeners to just say you know what I want to be part of that too yeah there's no there's no separation between past, present, and future. People can say that, oh, that stuff was in the past. But that stuff is like taking a pebble and throwing it into a pond. You know, something happens, there's this thing that happens. It's like the vibratory world. Mm-hmm. And and so the the pebble of the past of assimilation, segregation, and genocide, straight up genocide, has all these ripple effects that that are present today. And will continue into the future if we don't do something about them in this moment. 
And so, um, yeah, it is, it's all past, present and future. And so I, I'm just really hopeful that I get to see so much healing in my lifetime and watch this younger generation who is even more on this decolonization mission because they understand what happened to us in the past because it's only until recently where we started talking about it. You know, we have this thing of community silence and we have to, I guess it takes people like me and, and others, you know, to stand up and break the silence and have the, the safety nets in place in order to carry us forward. So before this whole event went on, I know how traumatizing it is because I've been digging into this stuff for four years. I should have a degree, but I don't, you know, uh, it's triggering and suicide ideology was real for me for many years. I knew that we needed, we needed psychologists on board. We needed counseling ready to go. We need phone numbers for people to call, you know, so we got all that stuff. We had it ready for this event to, to, to share with people. We had a talking circle with Dr. Tina Woods immediately right after at that school. The school was oh. the Mayflower school, which did very harmful things to children who are still alive today. And in fact, one of the survivors she walked into that school for the first time since her childhood. And she um, she sat at that circle and they processed. So the, the people who are running that school now, it used to be called the Mayflower School. Now it's the Juno Montessori School. Mm-hmm. They are dedicated and committed to this community healing and providing space for, for people to go into because um, that building holds very harmful memories. And if we can create something different out of that building where people are coming in to heal and are getting different memories, then that's that's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, I remember seeing that TikTok of yours and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can feel it when you walk through there. You were touching the the entryway and you're walking. If I'm not mistaken, that's the one you were mentioning. Yeah. Um, and you walked through there and I, I was looking at the comments like it's just a school and like, well, no, this, you know, that's not just a school. There was so much, so much emotion, just you walking in there and I could feel it through the video. I almost got choked up, just emotions. You can feel so much that it happened there. It still rests, just like impermeated through the walls of it all the, the walls. Yeah. yeah, you can see that. I can feel it. It's just so... Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm glad you are sharing all this information. And it's like you say, we're, we are just peeling that, that layer of that onion with the, your continuation of decolonizing and having other people listen to, you know, listening to the stories and having the ability to understand and comprehend and have that moment where you can be part of this. You can be part of this rising, this awareness human love that we are we're lacking in this society you know Mm -hmm. human community the human bond that has completely just been dwindled and diminished through through centuries of you know society needs us yes we do as people absolutely to in order for the healing to happen Mm -hmm. and i'm so glad missed and erased Otherwise, there's not going to be anything left 
to dismiss any race. I feel like, especially mm-hmm. with, you know, line three going through and, yeah. um, you know, people standing up against the, the current day colonizations of the, the oil um, lines and, you know, trying to protect the water. You know, there's a prophecy of that. The prophecy is not good. That black snake and what it does detrimentally to the human race, to all of us. And uh, if if there's oil that leaks in that in that river, there's like 17 million people who are going to be displaced from water. Yeah, and water is life. If we don't have water, we're dead. Water you know, is life. Our, our body is is like I don't know how much percentage of water is it. 95 percent water yeah you know and um yeah it's i think it's the the same percentage of water that's on earth is the exact same percentage of it of what the the human body is made of it's exactly the same percentage i love this uh background that you have because it does represent mother earth to me mm-hmm. uh, and so when we're talking about decolonization, I, I do I struggle with organized religion so much because of the things that were done and also understanding the doctrine of discovery of 1493 and all of the things that have happened since that doctrine of discovery. Um, and it all has to do with industrialization and colonization. So there's a big perspective for everyone to start looking at if you want to decolonize, go there. Um, so I think, you know, mother earth, the one true provider of life, it's not some mystery person in the sky to me. It's what we walk on because that is the true giver of life. It grows all of the plants. It has the water, all the animals. And if we just continue killing it, then we're killing ourselves. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So true. So again, it's been mm-hmm. an honor. I I really enjoy spending so much beautiful time with you, Jamie Ann. And it's fun. Yes, it's <laughs> been fun and it's been very educational. Hopefully the listeners are are learning something above and beyond the, the what they have been taught in schools. This is something that we need, we need to crack open and be more aware of. And I am so happy to have you as a guest on my podcast. Sheesh, that means thank you in in easy terms, but really, uh, sheesh means this would not be possible without you. So, thank you so much, Jasmine, for today. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Yes, ma'am. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Noise Blue Zion podcast. If you yourself is a small business owner, entrepreneur, musician, or artist, or liked what you heard, please share and follow. I am on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, or contact me at www.jasminecastillovoice.com and stay tuned for the next upcoming episode.